Are we recording? Is this thing on? Yes, it is. Welcome to RevOps 500, where we invite the world's top marketers to answer the tough questions facing growing organizations. Ooh, sounds important. I'm Sajil Qureshi. And I'm Gil Bates. Join us as we dive deep into the world of RevOps. We'll be learning strategies and expertise from first-hand experience. RevOps 500 is sponsored by CompuTech. They provide technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Sajil Kreshti here with another episode of RevOps 500, where we interview the world's latest and greatest B2B marketing minds. Uh, today, I am extremely excited because we have a, a guest who is passionate about building world-class teams. Uh, she's great at generating pipelines. She's grown high-quality brands over the years. And she's also all about empowering up-and-coming future leaders, which everybody can get behind. Uh, she's a strategic thinker. She's a results-driven executioner and a marketing leader. She's also a member of the CMO Club, and right now you can find her as a CMO of Haiku. Kelly Hopping, welcome to RevOps 500. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Kelly, let's just get right into it. So what is one RevOps myth in your view? Um, I don't know if, there is, if it's exactly a myth, but I'll say one of the silver bullets that we all wish was the case, um, which is not, is is probably about attribution. Um, I think people believe that, especially because there's so many tools out there, multi-touch attribution, last touch attribution, first touch, all these kind of things. We have this belief that they are somehow absolute. Um, and I don't believe that attribution numbers are are absolute by any means. Um, I think they, you know, we can we can go into all the reasons why, but I think that the the quick and dirty is that brands are influencing people's buying behaviors all over the place, sometimes years before, sometimes days before, sometimes hours before. Um, and so attribution is really some finite time. Um, and so uh, really attribution should be about sort of setting a stake in the ground and about uh, relative movement or trends away from that, but, um, but definitely not an absolute answer. So, you know, you say, attribution is not an absolute answer. And, and most of the time, you, you know, when you're, you're, I mean, you're a corporate marketer, you go into a, a meeting with non-marketing folks and, and they're asking you, you know, show, show me the money, right? Where, where's the, where, where, where is this coming from? So, you know, we, you, you asked me to spend money on this thing. Now, where, where is the, where, where is the ROI from that? So how do you, how do you answer questions like that then? Yeah, I mean, certainly data is king, right? I mean, there is there is nothing wrong with uh, with great data. Um, you know, at, at Haiku, we have uh, an incredible RevOps team. Uh, my last organization at Gartner, very similar. We had an incredible analytics function. Um, and so we were able to see a lot where the different touch points were. Um, so we could see, uh, you know, we could see if we ran a program, we'd be able to see if there's a direct link on what the action is. You know, this drove so many click-through rates, this drove so many forum fills, this drove so many, you know, VDR calls, mm -hmm. so many meetings with sales, um, so many demo or trial downloads, whatever it is. Um, so you can see all of those and you can build, um, you can build a pretty comprehensive narrative around a series of sound bites or a series of touch points. The challenge is being able to say that this one thing or this collection of things drove this percentage of influence or this percentage of, of absolute effectiveness because there's a whole dark funnel that happens mm -hmm. before we ever touch it, right? People are researching blind. 
People are enabling cookies. People are going incognito. People are uh, perusing an event and kind of walking by and taking a look at signage, but not actually talking to anyone. So there's a whole anonymous part of of um, of shopping or hunting or discovering way before you actually make a move. Um, and so I think that's where it is. So I think what what attribution does do is say of the data we have or of the touch points that we have, or once they be become visible in our funnel, we can see how they've interacted. We can see how they, um, what parts of our, um, of our assets have touched them, hopefully. And we can put a baseline and say, okay, we know that marketing is driving, you know, 40% marketing contribution to pipeline, or we can, or contribution, we, we can see, hey, marketing, um, you know, this particular event is driving, you know, 400 leads. The reality is it could have driven 500 or 700 or 200 um, as a first touch, but the reality is what we can do is put a stake in the ground and say, relative to what we can measure, this is as close as we're going to get. And after that, we can see movement. And so we're looking at trends. And so we say, it may not exactly be 400. It could have been 300. It could have been 500. But that 400 of one event became 600 of another event. So we know this event is more effective, not necessarily that this one drove exactly twice as much value or 50% or more value. Instead, what we're saying is we know that this is a better investment for next time because we can look at apples to apples. So, yeah, and Kelly, you know, you, you brought up so many good points there. So, I mean, like, you know, you taught, you, you first touched on, on that dark funnel or like the, you know, the dark social, whatever you want to call it, where yeah. people are. Are, are reviewing or researching or are checking out a brand before even they, in, they even hit like that brand's, you know, offer or in, or website yeah. or storefront or, or whatever. They're, they're already scoping it out in some sort of a different way, like a word of mouth or a buzzword mm -hmm. or something like that. I mean, like, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's movies, right. You know, that, that you come up, you say, Oh, you know, I, I've, I've heard about this movie from this thing, or I saw this thing and it's got nothing to do. You would never be able to attribute that with a, with a For particular sure. or tactic, but you know, there's something has brought maybe someone to the theater. It could be they had no intention of seeing the movie, but maybe there's just something they heard from somebody else or from something like the gossip mill or whatever. And all of a sudden, there they are in the theater three weeks later, or they're, or they're watching it on streaming or whatever. And you'll never be able to attribute that. So now let's break that down in a RevOps function. So you know, how how does in a situation like that, you know, how do you how do you tie in something like like a like a like that dark funnel or that research? Can you do that even in in like a RevOps function at all? Or, I mean, that might you know, be I don't know if enough. you some way you can, right? I mean, that's what big ABM tools like Demandbase or Sixth Sense or any of those are sure. for, so that you can start to to measure some intent, right? That you can see that people before they have engaged, um, sort of by name then they have, we can see that there's some intent data because of the types of articles they're reading, the types of sites they've been to. Mm. So there are tools like that, which I think really enable you to tap into that dark funnel. I think as a RevOps team, um, certainly a marketing ops team, as part of RevOps, I would say the two things I'm looking to do is one, prove marketing's value. And so the ability to talk to the sales team, to the CEO, to the board and say, hey, marketing is contributing this much momentum, this much lead volume, this much opportunity. Again, whether that number is absolute or relative, I can see movement and say, hey, we've driven, you know, we've increased our pipe by 50% quarter over quarter. And again, that's based on some absolute that we took last time and some absolute we took this time, but they were the same. They were measured the same. So even if the numbers are a little bit off, the relative scale and the growth rate is consistent. So that's one thing I want to show is that marketing is working. The other thing I want to be able to show is 
which part of marketing is working the best. And so, and that's a hard one because down funnel. So when you think about anything that's driving action, so whether it's a form fill on a website, it's a webinar registration, it's a booth scan at an event, whatever it happens to be, those I can see. And I can say, okay, how many, which, how many of each of those groups are converting to a meeting, converting to an op, converting to a closed one eventually? I can look at that trail. Um, and so some of them, you know, there are other things ahead. They may have seen an ad on LinkedIn that we're not accounting for. They may have seen, um, you know, uh, a booth in somewhere and, you know, seen something. They may have seen a logo sponsoring something. Um, so we don't account for that. But at least of the sort of lower funnel activities, I can look at those all side by side and say, well, we're getting the highest conversion on webinars, for example. Let's do more webinars. So it helps me make decisions because I can see, again, directionally, like, a lot of other things may be touching it, but when it when the like when the person's ready to like start a conversation with us, which of these is helping them do that faster? And I see that webinars is doing that more than live events, for example. Then I'm going to double down my resources, my efforts, my activities, focus on those webinars. Um, so I think as long as you can do those two things, um, and that's why I think we speak in growth rates so much because that is the part that's absolute, right? As much as we can measure, we're doing it consistent, but it's really change uh, between one and the other. Yeah, and that's, I mean, you make it sound very, very simple. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it, it's, I mean, I, I, we talk to marketers all the time and, and these things are just not easy. I mean, you know, oh, you just, you just, you can drill it down like this, this, and that you can see, okay, this is where you need to spend your, your time, but you know, it's so hard to, to, to split it and to, and to see all that stuff. So the way you, but hearing, hearing you talk through it is very, very, you know, it's, 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 it's very, it is, it is very, you make it sound very, very straightforward and, and, and it, it kind of, and, and it is when you've done it before and you, and you know what to look for, but some of us, you know, we just don't know where to, where to start. So, and where to look for So I mean, If you, if you, if you don't know, like say, say it's your first time going through this whole thing, you're trying to attribute, you know, like, you're trying to act with the on the what seems to be unattributable. Right? Yeah. How, how would you how would you go about doing that in, in, in your view? Oh, um, yeah, and there's definitely plenty of those. You know, for example, I will look sometimes at um, and then I'll go, I'll go back to your question, but I'll look sometimes at like an event. Like, hey, do we need to sponsor uh, VMworld this year? And yeah. I'll go and look back to last year and say, okay, last year at the VMworld event. We got this many booth scans. This is how many converted to opportunities. And this is how many we closed. Gotcha. And if I looked at that, I might be like, no, we don't need to go to VMworld. Like we didn't, we, we've closed $5 in revenue since then. Like that's not necessarily a good expense. On the other hand, there's this sort of unmeasurable uh, or immeasurable, unmeasurable, um, where we, uh, I don't know which one it is. Um, <laughs> Neither of us <laughs> or we look at it and we say, um, like, but we can't not be there. Right. You're, I mean, you know, if we like VMworld or VMware is a big partner of ours. Absolutely. And so, and we have a really strategic differentiation on their product and all kinds of things. And so what's the perception to the brand overall if we're not even there? Um, and instead, are we associating ourselves with VMware in such a way that we're giving ourselves associated brand equity that then the next time we run a VM product campaign, then people are like, oh yeah, I saw them at VMworld. Like they're pretty good. And now I'm going to attend that webinar because I realized that they're a legitimate partner. And so there's these, right? And so that's all not measurable things, but yeah. we're still going to pay that ridiculous sponsorship fee to sit at that event. Um, and so it's a really hard one. I think it's probably why, it's probably why marketers 
I won't say marketers in general, why CMOs have a fairly short shelf life. Um, the turnover rate on CMOs is very high because there is so much of the CMOs time spent on efforts that are not attributable um, to revenue. Um, there's so many things outside of it, right? We're influencing channel partners that are then recommending us, but it looks like a channel lead, not a marketing lead. We are driving customer upsell and cross-sell of our existing customers because we see their, um, because we're, we're sending emails during our email nurture that's causing them to do something and click, but that's going to look like just an expansion deal from sales. And so marketing is touching a lot of things, but when it comes down to like how much revenue have you driven for the company? I mean, I can look at a fraction of it. I can say marketing specifically did this, but we touched this one and this one and this one and this one. Um, and that influence is hard to gain. So I think when you're an early marketer, especially an, an early marketer in a company that doesn't have good data, Absolutely. Um, which is very common. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a little bit anecdotal. It's spending a lot. Of, it's going to those events. It's attending those webinars. It's sensing the sort of anecdotal side of was there a high engagement at that webinar? Um, of the people that registered, how many watched the replay? Of the people who registered, how many actually came? Um, so there's some leading indicators that say, are we hitting a mark here? Um, there's post-event surveys, pre-event surveys. Did this event cause you increase your consideration to purchase Haiku the next time you need a data protection solution? Whatever it happens to be. So there's a few different ways that you can get directional feedback. Um, but yeah, it's really hard. Without the data and without the kind of first, middle, every touch attribution along the way. Yeah, and you know, Kelly, you've got such a, a an interesting perspective on on this because most of the time people will say, "Oh, if it's unattributable, it's 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 not useful." But mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you know yeah, and you're saying, "Look, I mean, yeah, if you, if you go to VM World or, or or do event marketing, you can't always quantify the ROI until later on." So, oh, I remember you guys from that event or that company from that that thing mm -hmm. that I saw or that card I picked up in or that piece of swag or whatever. And you just will never know until years in the road. And they're going to attribute that back two years in the past. I mean, so so it's it's a, such an interesting, it's an interesting take. And let, let's let's talk about the future of it now. Where do you see, I mean, do you see us as an industry getting better at 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 tying some of those loose ends up or or just attributing more things? I mean, you mentioned some some products like Sixth Sense and all those sorts of things. Do you see like more more systems like that coming out coming at you as a, as a CMO and stuff like that? Or absolutely. I mean, I think. I mean, AI is going to blow the doors off marketing. You know, Sixth Sense and Demand Base, of course, like Demand Base being the original pioneer of that, and Sixth Sense being the sort of recent, um, so, yeah. you know, sort of growth in the engine. Uh, they those both of those companies were based on on AI, right? Being able to look at so much data and generate profiles, generate intent, generate all those things from there. I mean, based on that kind of data, what they should be able to do from here is, I would assume what's, you know, in their roadmaps is now that we have all this data, we can give you the intent. Um, that's what's happening today. Next step, I assume, is going to be, we already know the intent. You tell us how much money you want to spend in various areas. We'll automate those programs for you. We'll run the digital ads. They have their own advertising networks. They're going to execute. All execution, I think, is going to move into the hands of sort of the robots, if you will, of kind of mm -hmm. that. And then what marketers are going to be kind of tasked with is the strategy, the messaging, the objective, 
the um, the differentiation, the you know the and then kind of the uh, the optimization of that, like saying, hey, the tool went automatically this direction, and that's great, but they don't know that our product is failing there, that we're having support issues there, or that we have instability. So we need to course correct and say, hey, shut that one down, double down on this this line of business or this persona or whatever it is, or this messaging is not working. Pause that. We've got to fix it. So that's where the human interaction, but I think that's where we're going to end up moving. It's going to move from not just data and and insights of where you should target, but they'll start targeting for you. Um, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see where it have, where it goes. So so if the if the robots start doing the advertising for us and and, and the targeting for us, and then it's going to be a, a, an even greater emphasis for the marketers to really be doctors, right? And and be understand yeah. understand understand like the strategy and what the problem is, they kind of, you know, read a diagnostic, okay, understand where, where the opportunity might be. What kind of skills, I mean, does, will the marketer need to have then? I mean, because, you know, it's, it's, it's very different than now. Now it's more about a marketer needs to know how to use the tools. Yeah. So like, it, be it a CRM or, 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 or things like demand base and Sixth Sense and those sorts yeah. of things. But, but not in the future, I mean, if, it, if those are going to be more point and click things, yeah. what, what will a marketer need to know in, in, your, in your view? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think, some of that about using the tools will still be critical, I think, because there's still a garbage in, garbage out. That sure. Happens. And so if we're not feeding in our strategy, our budgets, our direction, our, um, you know, our critical growth areas, I mean, you know, we're going to optimize around gross margin. They're going to optimize yeah. around volume. Like, how do we get them to, to do something that's going to meet our financial demand? So there's still going to be a lot of those inputs, which I think are going to require even more intentional, documented alignment and agreement across organizations. So I think that part's still going to be there. The other part is just crystal clear focus, right, is where we're going to have to go. Like we're going to have to um, not just trust that whatever the tool spits out is going to be the best. I think what is going to happen is we're going to need to, we're going to need to be in a place where I think we can't boil the ocean. I'm learning those. Like I'm in my first startup at Haiku. Prior to that, I worked in much larger enterprise organizations. And so to be in, an, in a startup, what I'm learning is like, we can't be everything to everyone. Like we have to be the best at blank in this segment, in this region, um, with this persona. And so if that's the case, like being very, very, very intentional about that is the only way. Because otherwise, I think there's, there's probably, I mean, if you have, if you have tools that are executing your media buying and your your programming of all of your content, uh, they're going to go wherever the volume is. And you may say as a business, hey, we actually want to shift our perception. So I think there's just going to be a lot more strategic, a lot more thinking, a lot more um, intentionality in the way that we go instead of throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Um, and so, which is a lot of what marketing organizations do because they're often fragmented, um, aligned to different capabilities, using different tools, using different data sets. So... Yeah, and, and you know, you brought up you brought up a point about being intentional, and then you know, you, at the end there, you can't you're just trying to throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, and and it, it kind of got me thinking about like two two questions. I mean, right now as as marketers, you're kind of trying to be everything to everyone. If if there's if Threads comes out, well, we got to be on there. We got to do this. Well, then it's TikTok, or then maybe it's a website. Then it's like events or whatever. I mean, there's just so many things that you could be doing, or maybe you should mm -hmm. be doing, or whatever. And then you brought up, you know, being intentional. So knowing that you can't be everything to everyone as a, as a company and, you know, so, but knowing that, for example, being that strategic, like, I mean, do you really, I mean, 
doesn't that doesn't that require a lot of like specific know-how as to kind of what what the business is where they're where they're fitting i mean if you're in a startup like you know Heiko, you have to know okay what, what what value do you bring to the customers or for future customer what value do you not have i mean do you will, do you see like companies saying look we, we need we need industry expertise from the cmo at the beginning so they can actually help us and see what what our play should be and then make that play happen for us that i guess is the first part the second part would be and then once they figure that out then what what is the actual play on the ground is it is it with is it with the robots is it a particular social media strategy is it, is it is it, the, is it in messaging is it you know something or other i mean are they going to demand like something like that as well because that's a pretty heavy thing to to ask for i mean if the, even with the robots are coming that's still a heavy thing isn't it i mean it's a lot you should call this episode of the robots are coming yeah, yeah. well the dark yeah, side of RevOps. i don't know like <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what else we call them yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it probably, you know, to me, a CMO, one of the gifts of being a CMO is typically our expertise in coming is in the, the craft and expertise of marketing, right? Which, which channels work, how to create great messaging, how to do great research, you know, best practices in an advertising campaign, why SEO is ridiculously important, all those kind of things. Um, and how you build each of those functions. What are the right KPIs to measure all of those? That's what typically a CMO brings to the table. Occasionally, they bring industry knowledge with them, but not very often, um, unless they sort of move around within the same space. But there's usually all kinds of conflicts of interest in that. And so, um, so you end up kind of changing industries quite a bit. I mean, I've been in tech for you know the last 15 years, um, and all of that. I've gone from hardware to SaaS and software and semiconductors to cloud computing. I mean, I've kind of covered it. None of them quite compete with each other, but they're all tech. Um, so I don't think that that industry knowledge will be as important I, as, as, a, as the importance then of a really great product market fit. Um, and that onus comes on the, you know, on the responsibility of the founder, on the responsibility of the, the you know, chief product officer and the engineering team. You get a great product that fits in the market you're going after. And you just, and so then there may be some research to figure out what kind of messages resonate, what kind of things, um, what are the pain points we're solving, all those kind of things, which all come down to proving that product market fit. Then the marketing execution should almost be automated because then it's like, okay, where do these people shop now that we've nailed the persona? What are they struggling with? So let's nail the message. Um, how are they being influenced? Are they influenced by blogs or influenced by Reddit or influenced by um, you know, GitHub or whatever it is that they're going to to get information? Um, then we need to be where those conversations are happening. So how do we make ourselves um, critical to that conversation? Um, so all of those kind of things is sort of the thoughtfulness that needs to come, but all of it is just lipstick on a pig if you don't have a great product market fit. Because um, then marketers are just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell this thing that we have, but it's a terrible product and has no market. So we're kind of, you know, and a lot of them are operational too. I mean, there's things, you know, where we'll look at, we're selling like a mid-market company, but we have a sales motion that's an enterprise level for a deal size that's the, that's like lucky to be an S and B, right? And so we're like, there was something wrong with our business. That is a business problem. That is not a robot problem. That is not an attribution problem. That is a, hey, we're overcomplicating something for the revenue that we're generating from it and something at the holistic business level needs to fix. And so these are all like, those are where our efforts and our cycles are going to go because that's the stuff that's going to keep marketing execution from working. Hey, everyone. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of RevOps 500. This podcast is a great opportunity and channel for revenue operations and much more. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to ship production to a friendly team, check out ringmaster.com. They're the team behind this podcast. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Computan. Computan serves as the back-end dev and technology team for shorthanded marketing agencies and departments. Shorthanded? Wait a minute. That sounds like me. Now, let's get back to it. The end. That's that's a, an amazing point. I mean, because like, you know, it, it does tie into RevOps because that's customer success, right? If there's no product market fit, I mean, customers are failing, you know, then the business is going to fail, you know, shortly thereafter, right? I mean, so let's let's talk a bit about like, you know, what 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 a day looks like as a CMO of Haiku. So I mean, what 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 keeps you up at night technically in this whole world of RevOps? Is is there like a is there is there are 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 there are there other bugs? Are there bugs in the process? Are there issues that you have to work with? What 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 is what does that look like for you, Kelly? Yeah, I mean, the thing that keeps me up at night right now in you know July twenty twenty three is that we are in the middle of a recession. Um, And so the market is soft um, right now. Demand is light. Um, People are only, companies are only buying what they absolutely need versus what the nice to have. They're buying from brands they know versus taking risks on new brands. They might, expansion on a current brand is is a much higher ROI than trying to net new acquire um, new fans. you know, anything that's going to add credibility is critical. So working with partners, channel partners is going to be critical because um, that's where that sort of trust and relationship comes from. If you, to get a net new customer, getting a net new direct is almost impossible these days. Uh, and cash is a problem for companies that are pre, well, probably anybody in the capital markets, but pre-IPO for sure, because no one, you know, we just came off of one of the hottest economies ever a year ago outrageously stupid um, valuations of companies that were worth a fraction of that. And so everybody's got a 409A that's saying they're worth X amount of dollars. And then they, what's happening now is they need more cash. And if they raise now, they're going to cut their value by a third. Um, didn't help the Silicon Valley Bank went under, didn't help that we're in a recession. Both of those things are cutting values. And so all of a sudden people are like, oh, we can't raise because it'll hurt our valuation and cost us all a lot of money. So instead, we've got to manage this business with, without burning cash. And so it means we can't grow revenue because we can't invest in growing that revenue and no one's buying anything. So it's a pretty painful time in the business. Um, so that's kind of what keeps me and I would say the whole leadership team. And I wouldn't just say haiku. I think of any, oh, yeah. any you know, pre-IPO company out there right now and even the, the big post-IPOs as well. Um, so I think that's the biggest one. I think for me, um, what I struggle with at Haiku is um, we have an amazing product, um, fantastic. It solves a major customer challenge, um, and it's delivered beautifully. Um, but we're a startup. We're a small business, so we don't have that huge brand recognition that someone's going to take a risk on in an economy like ours. Um, and then we have sort of just new new muscle on execution. So, you know, I built out the marketing team and they're humming along. Our sales leader just started. And so he's building his sales organization. So that full go-to-market engine is still, you know, working out all the kinks and things to be able to drive something truly from um, from demand all the way through to uh, to closed one. So 
I think there's just, right now it's about execution. Execution is king. Uh, investing every dollar as hard as possible. Um, and it's a, we're a SaaS company. Um, SaaS is sort of, everybody's saying, hey, what are the metrics I need to be at in 18 months when we get to raise again? Because assuming we're going to magically come out of this bad economy by early 2025, what are those key metrics? SaaS magic number is a big one. Um, SaaS magic number basically means the ratio of, of what you're spending on sales and marketing is equal to what you're generating. Yeah. So it's a one-to-one -one ratio between, um, you know, between cost and, and revenue. Um, most SaaS companies, especially startups who are just trying to like grow and get traction, um, are well below that um, and not generating the one-to-one. -one. And so figuring out like, where should we put every single dollar of cash to work as hard as possible? um is the thing that keeps me up at night yeah so that's i mean that's a that's certainly a lot of hope i hope you hope i hope you are sleeping because that that is that's a lot <laughs> to deal with i mean you know you've got you've got the you got you got the external factors which are totally beyond your control then the internal factors you know it, it is a startup and you know the, the marketing team is not 300 people <laughs> so, right you know, yeah resources are tight right yeah so you know you have to i mean so you, you know you must be wearing multiple hats or everybody on the team must be wearing multiple hats trying to you know and and the, and the sales team is just getting started. So you know, I'm sure I'm sure you guys are also doing work in in the sales side of things and making sure those things happen. And you're doing marketing and on the ground as well. So I mean, that that must spread your time very very thin. And that's harder to get out of that when you know it's harder to 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 get the product sold and then have more capital to to actually have more people to help with these things. It's so it's a it's a catch twenty two in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think in a startup, like I said, most of my career has been in larger companies. So to come in a startup more so than anywhere else, um, I think the senior leadership's job is to be sort of, we're all kind of wearing a business athlete hat more than yeah. a marketing hat or a sales hat or an ops hat. Like we're wearing this athlete hat that kind of says like, we have to be really good stewards with the resources we've been given, the people, the money, this company, its brand. Um, what's the best way to kind of move this shit forward? And, you know, you overlay on top of that, like different strategies, different personalities, different, um, oh, yeah. different targets, different everything. And it adds complexity, but really it's a nice freedom as a startup that the risk of doing it wrong is kind of low because you're not going to break anything. You're not going to break the brand because the brand, you know, is so low at that yeah, point. Yeah. So it's really about like, hey, let's take some risks. Let's try some things. Try them on a small scale. If they fail, we'll pivot. We'll optimize. We'll try again. Um, and being comfortable with kind of that trial and error, um, you know, approach so that you can get to the best answer fast. I mean, it's it's really a, a fascinating conversation, Kelly. I mean, you have such like a diverse perspective <laughs> on on so many different angles than what, what than what most marketers have. I mean, like, you know, you have. You, you have the you have, you have I mean you said attribution attribution is not everything in marketing which is you know it's just it's like it's a haymaker to start a conversation with and and, and then and then then you know and then you've got you know then you talk about you know how like you, you you've worked in corporate marketing now you're in a startup so I mean you know how, how did you how did you get here what 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 was what was the story like I mean how how did how did it how's how did it start how is it going basically yeah 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 I mean I've spent most of my career um, in marketing I wasn't a marketer by degree I was an engineer um, out of uh out of college um but because of uh, a freak like reorg in a company before my first day of work um in my summer internship in college i moved into a product marketing function and then i've been in marketing ever since um eventually learned how to do it i got my mba and um and stopped making it up and actually figured out how to do real marketing 
Uh -huh, which was good. But yeah. I would say the thing that you talked about the perspective, I would, I think where that came from primarily was I spent about a year and a half when I was at AMD as the chief of staff to the now CEO. Oh, um, wow. So she was, she was the COO at the time. Uh -huh. um, I just saw an article about her in Forbes. I think she's the highest paid woman in the world now. Or highest Incredible. Paid, um, maybe CEO in the world. Um, her name is Lisa Sue. Um, you know, and, and anybody in that position is going to, you know, teach you a lot, um, whether you like it or not. Uh, so it's not always the most fun job. But I learned a ton because I was essentially like a fly on a wall in every executive meeting, every board meeting. I got to listen to the conversation. I got to observe how executives make decisions. I got to see the things that they care about, the things that they could care less about, um, and the things that they really double down on in, in the future and stability of the company. And so I think just being an observer um, and sort of a, a contributor to the, the content for those discussions um, without actually being a decision maker uh, was probably the one thing that changed my whole perspective. Because then it, now when I sit as an actual executive in those meetings, instead of a, a chief of staff, I have a, a very different appreciation for what matters. And I feel like I can even guide my team to say, hey, stop working on that. No one's going to care that you're doing that. That's not a great use of time. Instead, let's pivot over here because that's where you're going to make the biggest impact. That's where um, you know, the leadership team is going to kind of notice the impact that you're making. That's where you're going to move the needle. Um, and so uh, to me, it's, it's, you know, it's advice that I give most young, young leaders. I won't say just young marketers, but high potential, high performing folks like spend, spend a season in a chief of staff role or in some sort of mm. um, corporate operations where you can see the ins and outs of some of that. Um, it's a game changer. I feel like it's one of those major, I feel like pre and post business school was a big pivot in the way that I saw the world. The other big one was pre and post Lisa is what I like to say, pre and post um, chief of staffing. Um, I think I saw the world completely different afterwards. So let, let's, let's talk about that. So, you know, you, you kind of answer one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, like, you know, what would advice would you give yourself starting your career? But I mean, so if you, let's talk about the pre and post chief of staff or pre and post Lisa version of Kelly. So, I mean, you know, how, let, let's talk through like a chief of staff role. So how do you, how do you get those roles? What, what are they like? What's the pace like? What's the, <laughs> what's the time commitment like? I mean, just, just try to educate any, any marketer who might be thinking about going into that and, and what, what they might, what, what they could expect. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I don't know how you officially get them. Occasionally they're posted. <laughs> they typically seem to be a networked role though. Like that people don't usually take a, you know, take a chance on a chief of staff because of a job application. Um, it's usually, so in, in my particular case, um, you know, I've, I've been really fortunate in my career. I haven't applied for a job since college. I've kind of had really great mentors, leaders, peers take me from company to company along the way. And so one of them, I was at uh, AMD. I'd been there about around three years at this point, um, working in various brand and campaign and um, go-to-market roles. And uh, and she came to me and said, and she called, she set up a meeting with me. And I was like, I would Lisa set up a meeting with me. Like she's, you know, really high. At the time I was a senior manager, which by the way, to me, senior manager to director is the right window to do a chief of staff role. Um, there's some people that do it at the VP level. I think it's, I think that's kind of beyond. I feel like my belief in general is that once you get to a director level, you get somewhat typecast as to what you are. So you become a VP chief of staff and all of a sudden you're an operations exec for the rest of your life. 
Like, I feel like pre-director, you can move laterally and do all kinds of things and kind of figure out where you want to focus. A post-director, you get kind of labeled. Um, at least that's my experience. And so senior manager, decide, like on the cusp of director promotion, to me is the perfect window to do a chief of staff gig. Um, but she came to me and said, hey, you know, I don't know you. I haven't met you, but I've heard you're smart. I've heard that you're hardworking. I've never had a chief of staff before, um, but I think I need one. Uh, I think what she actually said is HR is making me get one. Um, and so mm-hmm. <laughs> will you, is this something you'd be interested in? And I said, sure. And so uh, we talked about it. She explained kind of what it was. I don't think she knew exactly what she needed from me. I didn't know what to expect. I just thought, you know what? I'm going to listen well, and I'm going to jump in and help on anything that sounds like something I can solve. Uh, and so, and I leaned in on my strengths. And so when I went into the role, um, it was tough, you know, uh, you, you mentioned about the hours and the life, like, you know, you're in any other role, your product is either your function. Like my product is digital marketing or my product is our company's product in a chief of staff role. Your product is that human. Yeah. Uh, and so you are, you're like, you live and breathe your tone. Your mood is set by them. Right. And so um, she was in a bad mood. I was like, okay, like I'm in, I'm now in a bad mood for the day. Right. And if I, you know, she's in a good mood, I'm going to be in a good mood for the day. So um, she's out of the office. This is a great day um, because I get to, you know, kind of get things done without, you know, so there's, uh, and, and none of that's personal. That's just the reality of like yes. when it's a human that you're managing every day. And so, uh, so I had to kind of learn that part. So my hours often were set by her hours. Um, she did not have kids. And so I sort of kept my kids out of the conversation often. That wasn't uh, a common ground we had. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of tried to work when she worked. Um, the challenge on that is, like I said, if she was in a bad mood, I brought bad mood home and had to kind of like learn from my family that that was coming home with me. Um, but that was okay. But it was a lot of pressure, right? A COO who's the CEO successor she was known to be, um, is carrying a ton of responsibility of sort of like not thinking about tomorrow, but thinking about a year from now and two years from now. Um, I mean, just to say like the, the end of the story is I left at a dollar 80 and sold out and she took it to like 150 two years later. So yeah. um, not a good, t- I mean, she was amazing. I left at the wrong time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that was, that was kind of the thing. I think on the day to day of the role, what I did primarily was um, as a mark because I was a marketer. Um, I was I'm my one of my strengths is communication, and so I sort of took over all of her uh, internal comms. I did all of her decks for Computex or CES or wherever she was going to speak. I did all of her internal town halls and all of that content. Um, I wrote her, you know, internal communications drafts or anything that went out to the company. Oh. Um, so I did a lot of that because that sort of took advantage of my marketing skills. And then I spent a lot of time on um, prepping her for conversations. Like if she had a partner meeting coming up, finding out who that partner was, figuring out what their bent was, figuring out how do we negotiate with them, figuring out who the key players were and the key influencers were, kind of really prepping her so that she walked into that meeting well-informed. Um, and then I did anything that she needed. Like, you know, I hosted a Christmas party at her house for her. So, you know. You name it, you do all kinds of things, awesome. but it's a role where you just get such exposure and such great appreciation for the stress and the challenges that that sit with executives. Yeah, it's a, it, those are amazing anecdotes, right? I mean, you know, those are <laughs> those are just, and, and and it's a very diverse role. It takes a lot on. It's, it takes a toll on a person, obviously, but it gives you a lot of great experience for when you 
when you finished with it. So like that's uh, I mean look, it, it's a uh, it's an interesting play, right? And how you say you you would you would say everybody take a chief of staff role like that, you know, when the timing is right and you know all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And between like the manager and the director director role, you know. So I, I guess uh, I mean you know you, you mentioned like the the kids thing. I mean what what do you do for fun when you're not when you're, when you're not doing the, when you're not running the marketing world at Haiku, what, what do you do for fun? Um, family, for sure. Um, I'm, uh, my husband will, would join me in this conversation that we are, we are obsessed with youth sports. Okay, nice, <laughs> so nice. We spend a lot of focus on uh, our boys' uh, football training, their football practices, their football games and development. Uh, my daughter is a volleyball player and a and a horse rider. My other son wow. plays baseball, um, travel, uh, you know, tournament, select baseball. Um, and so any moment of the day that's not uh, at work is pretty much <laughs> either driving them, watching them, cheering them on, or um, something to do with their uh, with their sports for sure. And then we travel some too. We just got back from Alaska. We were there two weeks ago. Oh wow! Um, and uh, and that was pretty amazing. Uh, so we like to get out of here too and pick the heat pick Texas. Yeah. <laughs> there you go nice and 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 work and and what what can our listeners uh what would you like to tell our listeners about haiku and where can they learn more about you and haiku as well sure yeah haiku is spelled h-y-c-u yep. um so i think people assume it's like the the poem um the 575 but it's not yeah. <laughs> uh, well it's sort of built on that concept um of being super simple um but it's haiku.com and uh yeah haiku is a um, data protection as a service company um, we protect all of your data anywhere, whether it's on-prem, uh, in the cloud, or in your SaaS application. Um, yeah, I think in the world of ransomware, in the world of of um, cybersecurity threats and and uh, hacking and all the things that are going on, um, having all of your data backed up uh, can save a company a ton of money, can save uh, a lot of time and downtime and uh, um, productivity in your business continuity. So it's... Uh, the critical piece to me and then even in an environment like this it's a absolute necessity and what about and where can where can people connect with you kelly uh where, where, where would you like our listeners to connect with you if they have any questions or anything like that sure yeah linkedin is probably the best right. um and so it's kelly hopping uh, k-e-l-l-y and then hopping like a bunny mm -hmm. um and yeah they're they're welcome to connect to message to um connect with me with questions that way i'm happy to to chat yeah i mean well you know, Kelly, it was uh, amazing to talk to you. Like, like I mentioned, you know, you have a very, very, you know, unique perspective on, on marketing. I mean, you know, you started off the the conversation with a body blow. I mean, that was that was a uh, that, that was a good one. You know, RevOps is is uh, not everything is attributable. So, I mean, you know, that was uh, that was amazing. I, you know, I can't thank you enough for for coming on and and jamming with us on this today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love the conversation. So, um, I look forward to next time. Yeah, and uh, uh, Tony. Anyone who's listening out there, I mean, if you learned something today you know, or laughed about something that Kelly said, you know, she, was, she threw in a couple of good jokes there too. I mean, so, you know, just uh, tell someone else about the podcast and uh, yeah, just give them, uh, give them a shout and have them take a listen too. So Kelly, thanks again for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this has been another exciting episode of RevOps 500 and we'll see you all next time. And that wraps up another episode of RevOps 500. Thanks for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at RevOps500.com. RevOps500 is sponsored by CompuCare, providing technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing teams.